All right, thank you for bearing with me through that. And truly, if, if there, I don't know, if you have any follow-up thoughts to that or if there's anything that I can do, come talk to me, email me, Grady at maricopasprings.com. I think you can find my phone number on the website. Um, I would love to chat with you about that. Okay, hopefully you're in 1 John 2. We've been making our way through the book of 1 John, and I hope it's been encouraging to you. We're going to focus on verses 7 and 8, but I think it helps to give a little bit of the context. So I'd like to go back and read verses 1 all the way through verse 10. So if you want to read along with me. John writes, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abide in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling." Well, look, we're going to zero in on verses 7 and 8, and I'm going to bounce around here in the beginning, so uh, hang on to your Bible there. But on the surface, at first glance, I think verses 7 and 8 are a little bit confusing. Did you pick up on it? No one, I think, could fault us for thinking, what in the world is John talking about? Because in verse, says, and he's, in verse 7, he says he's not writing a new commandment, but an old commandment. And then in verse 8, what does he say? It's not a new commandment, it's an old commandment, or at the same time, I'm sorry, at the same time, it is a new commandment, right? I just made it even more confusing. So what does the Bible mean here? Is this a contradiction? Well, I hope you understand that every apparent contradiction that we might come across in the Bible is only that. It's an apparent contradiction, and with a little bit of applied critical thinking and some hard work, Usually, you can come to a satisfactory resolution that reconciles the two different sides. As confusing as a text might first appear, this one in particular is actually quite reasonable. So what I want to do this morning is I want to define what the commandment is and then explain why it's first an old commandment and why it is also simultaneously a new commandment. And I think this is going to be fun. First, what's the commandment that John is talking about that's both old and new? This commandment that he says we've had since the beginning. Well, John gives us a clue in verses 9 and 10. That's why I wanted us to read that. So look there. You see in verse 10, whoever loves his brother. So this commandment has to do with love. If you flip over quickly to chapter 3, verse 11, John gets a little bit more explicit there. 
connecting what we've heard from the beginning. Chapter 3 of 1 John, verse 11, it says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. That same phrase was in our text already. And it's this, that we should love one another. And so from the beginning of the Christian walk, guys, the command is the same. Love one another. Love one another. And John's not just making this up as he goes along. So this is where I want you to get ready to flip around a little bit. I guess you've already done that. But John is just passing on what he received from Jesus himself. The teaching that Jesus gave to to the disciples. So turn to the Gospel of John chapter 13. Not 1 John, but the Gospel of John chapter 13. And guys, as we go through 1 John, we're going to be looking in the Gospel of John quite a bit because there's so much connection there, particularly chapters like 13 through 17, I think it is. So in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my my disciples, if you have love for one another. Friends, here is the essence of the Christian life. This is what it means to belong to Christ and follow him, that the love of Jesus has flowed into us in a ceaseless torrent. And now it also flows out of us into the lives of others as we love them like Christ loved us. Look closely at verse 34 there. The new commandment that Jesus gives his people is that they are to love one another like Jesus loved them. And John is now passing on that same commandment. Love others like Jesus loves you. And obedience to this new commandment is the tangible proof that a person has actually received God's love and understood God's love and been baptized into this wonderful new reality that they are a beloved child of God. It's a transformative love. And it's proved in the transformation of their life. We love others because he first loved us. In fact, again, making you flip around a lot, turn back to 1 John chapter 4. John writes explicitly that very thing. In 1 John 4, verses 9 through 12. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. In other words, how do you know God's presence? You see it in the love of his people. 
Hopefully you were here last week. You remember that Trevor kind of talked about this. What does it mean that God's love is perfected in us? If you want, you can go back to our YouTube channel and see last week's uh, sermon about that. But let's look again quickly. The last place I'll make you turn is back to chapter 2, verse John 2, and verses 4 through 7, which we read, but I want to review again. Whoever says, this is verse 4, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So look, I've been all over the place. Maybe your head's spinning and you're like, oh my goodness. Let me sum it up like this. The love of God is perfected in us when we love others and obey that great commandment. It's actually pretty simple. And this is the great proof that Christ is in us. His love being lived out by us. Because the great commandment that Jesus gave to his people was to love God and therefore love others. And that commandment, of course, to love others is predicated on the fact that God has loved us. We're going to get into that more in a second. Our love for one another is the overflow of God's love for us. In other words, God loves you, therefore, be obedient to this command, love others. Now, John tells us this is an old commandment. So moving to the next piece, this is an old commandment for three reasons. And just a quick note before I press ahead on this. Be very wary of new ideas that creep into Christianity. We cling to a very old set of truths and we are proud of that fact. These are truths as old as the stones and the stars. Immutable, unchangeable. We are not ashamed to say that we are old school We're not ashamed to say that we follow an ancient set of doctrines that have stood the test of time. We are proud of that. Like maybe you want to get rid of your phone because it's old and you want a new one, but don't get rid of your Christianity because it's old. We don't need modern updates or stylist revisions. We don't assimilate new cultural trends. It's not our responsibility to get with the times. We don't prize cutting-edge philosophies. Now, we may need reformations to get back to the roots, to get back to those ancient doctrines. We may need to evaluate our faithfulness and determine whether we've truly adhered to the old commandments, whether we've truly stuck to gospel faithfulness and biblical doctrine. That's a reformation. We may need to do that. But we reject progressive Christianity precisely because it abandons the old commandments. We may need to change. We may need to change. But we never need change the doctrines and commands we've had from the beginning. So the commandment John's referring to is old for three reasons. First, because John didn't make it up. John's not trying to put some new fancy spin on this. We already saw he got this from Jesus. Basically, John is saying in verse 8, 
I'm writing to you, my beloved friends, so that you might remember what you already know. When they first received the gospel message, they received that old foundational message that Jesus himself gave to his people. Love one another with a love that reflects the love of Christ. And so John's commandment is old first because it goes back to Jesus. Second, this commandment is old because Jesus himself pulled it from an even older source. You probably already know this. It comes from the law that God gave to his people Israel through the prophet Moses. Leviticus 19.18 says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's where Jesus got this from. This is an old commandment indeed. And even in its very ancient roots, dating all the way back to Moses, the commandment was grounded in the fact that these are God's chosen people. They belong to him. They are his special, beloved possession. Because he chose them, and he poured out his love upon them, and he poured out his grace upon them. And therefore, for that reason, because he chose them and loved them, they must also love their neighbors. And so even the command that Moses gave in the days of old to love your neighbor, that command was grounded in God's love for his particular people. And so God's expectation has always been that the people he loves must be people who love. And this brings us to the third reason why this is an old command. And this one's a little more um, abstract, so stick with me. The third reason why the command to love others is an old command, is because it actually precedes time itself. It was established even before the foundations of creation were laid. It is older than even the atoms and the stars that fill the universe, older than the very fabric of reality as we know it. Because love for others is central to the very nature of God himself, don't you see? You can't belong to God if you don't love others because God is a self-contained relationship of love. This is why Christians hold to the theology of the Trinity. It's an important doctrine. This is what we mean when we teach that God is a triune God. He is one in essence and yet three in persons. Therefore, in his very entity he is love the completion of love an eternal existence of personal self-giving loving relationship that's the god we worship from before time was ever begun and so this is what john means when he says god is love Because in the very nature of God, love is central. To be connected to God in any way means that you embody his divine nature of self-giving love through the Holy Spirit that now dwells in you as his precious child. Love others is an old commandment because God has always been loving other in his very being and essence through eternity past. God's nature is love. And that self-giving love now showers down upon his people, making them naturally 
a people of self-giving love. So I think it's worth stopping here, and I think we're going to do this a lot through 1 John, so I guess I'm just warning you. Just consider for a second your own love for one another. If we say we love God, then we will love other people. First, we'll love our brothers and sisters of Christ in Christ. That should be easy, although sometimes it's challenging. But then we're also going to love our neighbors, our coworkers, others, people who are not like us. And then think about this. The love of God is so great that it's going to spill over in our lives to such a degree that we will actually love our enemies, people unlike us, people that once we despised or hated or could only see the differences or the negatives, we will eventually love those who persecute us. And man, these are days to test the authenticity of our love, are they not? COVID tempts us to withdraw and isolate ourselves, to judge others who approach it differently, to seek self-preservation. Politics enrage people, turning family members into enemies, stirring hatred. Racial tensions spur dangerous thoughts of us versus them driving people apart through fear and anger and even self-righteousness. And the world is just a tempest of fear and anger, loathing, hatred, divisive pride right now. And it seems like so much energy is being poured into provoking people to hate one another. And sadly, Christians are being pulled into that. When in the midst of this, we should be people who love generously. We must be people who obey the old commandments to love our neighbor and love our enemy and love our fellow brothers and sisters. Because we're people that understand that in the ugliness of our sin, God loved us. We don't deserve God's love. But by grace, he's given it to us generously. And so I ask you in this time of testing, how is your obedience to this old command to love others? How is your love for those different than you? How is your love for those you might be tempted to hate or despise or those who might hate you and despise you? Are you a reflection of the love that you have received from God? Now, as much as this is an old commandment, which we've had from the beginning and even from before the beginning in the very nature of God himself, it is also a new commandment. That's what John says. And it's new for three ways as well. And hopefully this will undo the tension of like, how is it both old and new? Well, first, it's new in power. When God in the Old Testament commanded his people to love their neighbors, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that the result was tragic. It did not go well. Israel as a nation failed God in this regard. And they failed because humanity has no innate power to love others. In our fallen state, we are without the ability 
to love others like God loves. People are by nature selfish, self-centered, self-preserving, self-absorbed, self-seeking, and egomaniacal. And I'm talking about you. You are humans through their I'm talking about me. Don't don't misunderstand. Humans through their own power, guys, we cannot love others. Not in the way that God commands us to do. It's just not in our DNA by nature. But something wonderful, something new has occurred through Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul puts it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself, or us to himself. And so the commandment which John speaks of is new, because through it, the command carries with it the power to obey through Christ and his grace and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Leanne and I are in the process of of building a new house, and if you were to go to our house right now, you would see there's light switches on the walls, there's bulbs in the sockets, all the wiring is there behind the drywall, but flick on one of those lights and you know what happens? Nothing, because there's no connection to the power source. It's all wired, it's all there, but nothing happens, and it's a bit like that for us. Humans are actually wired to love like God loves, but without a power source, without the indwelling Holy Spirit, without the transformation that comes through redemption in Christ, we are impotent to live a life of consistent, self-sacrificial love. It's not possible. And guys, let's be honest, it's hard enough even with access to that power, isn't it? Imagine trying to do it without But now, through the face of Christ, his death and resurrection, through seeing in his face the love that God has for us, our hearts are changed. And with that transformation comes this flood of power overwhelmingly transforming us to obey what God has commanded so that we can love one another like God has loved us. And so the command is new because the darkness is fading. The light has come in Christ. The evil that once enveloped the human heart is being banished through the work that God has done in his son. And now love and grace are flooding into the human heart so that the human heart might pour it out. And so the command is new because through Christ, the command carries the power to obey. You can love. Because Christ loves you. Second, it's new because it has a new quality through Christ. No one would debate that people can show a measure of love to one another. I mean, we've all been moved by various pictures or stories of somebody loving someone else self-sacrificially. Even godless pagans are capable of showing some measure of love. But this command is new because it carries with it a new quality the quality of consistent self-sacrifice and other-centeredness. That's the difference. Guys, God's definition of love is not some warm, fuzzy feeling. 
God's definition of love is not merely some intellectual idea. It's not self-gratifying, self-seeking, or even self-referential at all. It, it simply doesn't think about self. God's love is sacrificial, and it relentlessly pursues the good of the other. It's the kind of love that often hurts. It's a love that causes us to do what's in the best interest of the other person. It's a love that enables us to lay down our own needs and our own desires for the sake of another. And friends, this kind of self-sacrificial love, this is what we see in the cross. It's not even possible apart from Jesus. It's the kind of love that would look at an ugly, unlovable, irredeemably wretched and reprehensibly arrogant, spiteful creature like me and then exclaim, I love you and I will prove it by laying my life down, investing in a project of lifting you out of your shame and misery regardless of the personal expense to myself. The love that John points us to is new because it brings with it a quality of self-sacrifice that humans can only step into by God's grace. And this love moves us from being self-referential to being self-sacrificial. You too can now die to sin like Jesus died so that you can also be brought to new life in the love of God. Recently, we had a dove that laid some eggs in our backyard in this flimsy little tree branch that was like about this high on me. And our whole family was curious about it. It was so easy to observe. We've got like a jungle of doves in our backyard. It's kind of creepy, actually. But, but eventually, these eggs hatched, and there were two baby doves in this nest, and, uh, and the kids wanted to see the baby doves. But the mother was just never gone from the nest. It was crazy, actually. I don't, I don't know when it ate and all of that. But we'd go out in, like, the monsoon, and the branch is, no joke, going like this. And I peek in there, and there's the mom sitting on the babies. We went out in 115-degree weather, and the mother must have just been baking, and there she is sitting on the babies. Makes me feel claustrophobic. Finally, the kids wanted to see the baby bird so bad that I went out there, and I got so close, I started poking the dove, okay? I realize this is not a nice thing to do, but I started poking the bird, and it looked like it was going to peck my eyes out, but it didn't fly away. It stayed. That's some crazy self-sacrificial love. I realize it's a silly illustration, but, but that bird probably thought I was going to eat it for lunch, but it wasn't going to leave its babies. It wasn't going to abandon those it loved. And shouldn't we have that same kind of self-sacrificial love for others? Unwilling to give up on them, unwilling to abandon them, unwilling to give up hope that God will do a work and that irregardless of whether he does that, our trust in him enables us to lay down our lives self-sacrificially, to invest in others, to be committed to their good above our own. Finally, this commandment is new because it, got, it comes from God's renewing grace. 
Lamentations tells us a verse that probably many people know. The mercies of God are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And so attached to this command to love is the grace of God. This grace has given us not only a momentary eternal salvation when we first trusted in Jesus, but it also gives us eternal regeneration through the salvation we have in Christ. God's grace is constantly at our disposal to daily regenerate us, to walk in obedience, to love liberally, to bear with one another in patience, to forgive each other in humility, and rejoice in our constant reconciliation. And so this command is new because it is daily renewing us. John uses the illustration of light shining and the darkness passing away, and it makes me think of the dawn that comes every morning, renewing creation. The sun rises, the darkness recedes, bringing life and bustle and activity and new hope, new opportunities. So this commandment's not stale, it's not used, it's not cold. It's a command to love others and it comes with God's power to love. It's a constantly renewing force to restore, to set right, to refresh and revive, to reinvigorate, revitalize and regenerate. So as we close, I just want to make a turn in a different direction. Give me a couple more minutes because the command that we've been talking about is God's commands, command to us that we would love one another. But I want to remind you that the command we have, it's been given to us, is, is grounded in God's love for us. So we're commanded to do this, but it's born out of the result that we have been loved. God's asking us to love other people in the same way that Jesus loves us. And so it seems only proper to close with a reflection on God's love for us. And I prayed really hard that God would do more with the next couple of moments than I can possibly do with my own words or in my own skill or in my own power. If we're really going to be people who love others, our ability to love them has to flow out of this glorious truth that we are God's beloved. So let me just be very clear. God loves you. God loves you. I need to hear that over and over and over again because I just don't believe it. Because I know what a piece of crap I am. God loves you. He knows your sin and he loves you. He knows your failure and yet he loves you. He has a record of all of those promises that you've made to him that if he does X, Y, and Z, you'll do A, B, and C. He's got a record of all of them, all the times that you broke them. And he still loves you. He knows that when you say that you love him, you're sometimes sincere because you also love other things more than him. He knows that you're sometimes faithless 
and that you're ultimately even incompetent to love him in the way that you should. And yet, you know what? He loves you. He knows the number of hairs on your head, which is just a wasteful investment of time, and yet he loves you. He sees those secret tears that you have wept. He feels the pain and the sorrow that you have felt. He knows the deep brokenness in your heart. And he weeps when you weep. And he loves you. He also knows what an arrogant pig you can be. And he humbly loves you. He knows that you think more highly of yourself than you should, that you're judgmental and proud, and yet he still loves you. He knows that you doubt his goodness when he puts you through trials, when he walks with you through suffering. He knows you doubt even though he's proved himself to you again and again and again and again. And even in that doubt, he loves you. It doesn't change an ounce of his love for you. He knows that you should do better, that you should be more obedient, that you should memorize more scripture and pray more and be more holy and more righteous, that you should love him more faithfully. And he longs for you to do all of those things, because they're good for you. But he loves you still, even when you fail to be like Jesus. The measure of his love for you is not changed at all by your performance. He gave you life. He fills your day with simple wonders. Like, I mean, just... There's so many. Like, just think about the fact that you can go get in a car and drive 20 miles, and that takes you, well, takes me like 20 minutes. But you, you get the point? Like, we live in a wondrous world. And that's because God loves you. He pours out grace and mercy. He intends every single thing that happens to you for your good. No rejoicing, no suffering, no weeping, no heartache has ever happened except that God intends it for your good because he loves you. He thinks about you. Not the same kinds of thoughts that you think about you. Gloriously wonderful, gracious, affectionate thoughts he thinks about you. He's concerned for you. And he eagerly awaits the day when you will step into his eternal perfect kingdom and he will embrace you and say, I've waited so long. I've been here preparing this place for you. Come and let me show you what all of this has been for. Most amazing of all is that he gave his unspeakably precious son to redeem you from damnation and judgment that you deserve every ounce of. He traded 
his precious son for you. Christ died to give you life and now rejoices over you that you are his treasured child. God loves you very deeply. And because he loves you so much, he gives you this very simple command that you would be like him and love others with the same ferocious love that he has for you. Let me pray. God, would you renew us to do this? And Lord, I do pray that that you would attach to the words that I have prepared the powerful, piercing truth of your Holy Spirit. That the things that I've said might have weight to them, gravity to them, because your Spirit is giving them that gravity. Lord, would you open our eyes to understand the depth of your love for us? Would you stir in our hearts to comprehend how great your love for us is, how deep and wide your love for us in the work that Christ did for us? Lord, we can't even comprehend it apart from your kindness. And so I pray that you would be kind and show us. And Lord, then I pray that this call, this commandment to love others would not feel like a crushing burden, but would simply be the natural response to understanding the depth of your love for us. That we would be people who love generously because we've truly understood how generously you have loved us. God, would you do that work in our hearts and our lives, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.